0: I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the April 21st episode of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red Claim Credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today's learning objective is to discuss the current state of COVID-19 vaccination. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Eli Lilly and Company, as well as in-kind support by DKB Med LLC. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Awater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Dr. Allwater, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you, Faith. You know, the pandemic is continuing in so many countries, um, facing many challenges, including uh, in the United States, uh, also in India and elsewhere. And what's going on with vaccines in general has often uh, boiled down to trying to uh, convince people that this is the right thing to do. Uh, Not only for their individual health, but public health measures and of course, uh, this is something that has been a a high priority that is um, how is information and messaging getting out? How are people interpreting the vaccine uh, enterprises, not only in our country, uh, but worldwide? And of course, uh, this uh, article here is interesting because, of course, it was almost uh, nine months ago that this particular article came out. And it remains as important as ever in terms of messaging. Now, uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is, I think, hopefully a simplification. I think many people were uncertain about vaccine phases and who was eligible for immunization. And just yesterday, there uh, was a declaration from the administration that everyone 16 and over would be eligible uh, with no preconditions, uh, suggesting that we had a sufficient uh, vaccine supply. That, of course, has helped simplify the messaging uh, quite a bit. And if you are looking at how things have gone so far, we have done relatively well, especially in the population that was uh, targeted early. Uh, You can see that uh, nearly two-thirds of uh, People over the age of 65 have been considered fully immunized, um, and uh, that's uh, really a remarkable achievement uh, if you look at the really over hundreds of millions of uh, doses that have been delivered and administered. Uh, But I think you can also see from this CDC graphic Uh, that younger populations are going to have less coverage. And indeed, at least that's who we're seeing now. I'll tell you, I just um, had a call over the weekend about a family friend and their 33-year-old son who uh, had ongoing symptoms for a few days, became increasingly short of breath, Uh, He was hospitalized, uh, started on remdesivir and dexamethasone, unfortunately, is in the intensive care unit, now intubated. And I think we're beginning to see that the frequency of infection is going to be higher uh, just in this population because this is where the virus has found susceptibility. And the messages are indeed difficult here. We're trying to walk that fine line of trying to convince people to get immunized that will protect them at the same time, uh, stating that the pandemic isn't over yet and uh, people are still susceptible uh, and that mitigation strategies for those that have not been immunized really make the most sense. And and of course um, some uh, political Uh, uh, decisions about opening up the economy and so on and and, uh, not wearing masks and so on have been viewed as positive messages meaning we're getting back to normal but we're not quite there yet Uh, and immunizations are clearly the way we can uh, find the path forward the fastest it seems but it will depend on uh, people getting up to a herd immunity level that can be anywhere from 80 to 90% uh, that's likely going to be required to staunch this coronavirus. So uh, it's just remarkable that over 3 million doses of immunizations are being given in the United States today, and several countries have uh, gotten uh, a majority of their population already immunized, generally the smaller countries, and that would include Israel and Bhutan, for example, and uh, the doses that have been used in the United States have been largely the two that, of course, were uh, approved as an emergency use authorization vaccine back in December. Uh, That's the BioNTech-Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine, both message RNA vaccines. The uh, Johnson & Johnson single-dose vaccine currently paused. Because of the rare concern of uh, cerebral clots, had nearly 8 million uh, doses administered to date. In terms of messaging, the pause has been viewed as detrimental to the vaccine cause. Um, on the other hand, I think it's important to recognize that a number of vaccines, including um, vaccines uh, that have been produced from China, inactivated vaccines, haven't really uh, published much data. And these vaccines are being widely distributed and used in a way that messaging is so straightforward. We think this vaccine works, here it is. On the other hand, I think for a population that may be wary trying to uh, walk the line of understanding risks and making changes are important, but I think the consequences of people not being immunized will mean more people will get infected, there'll be more hospitalizations and deaths um, uh, compared to a very rare event. Uh, This is the difference between an active decision, such as getting a vaccine versus passive, acquiring COVID-19, often unbeknownst, Uh, to people uh, because of their interactions. Uh, This is always a very difficult issue, and I do believe uh, the FDA and the CDC will likely uh, come to a decision soon. I think it's unlikely this vaccine will be completely abandoned, uh, but uh, probably will follow recommendations very similar to what was used, uh, what's been done so far in Europe for the AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, is now targeted to older populations where the clot does not seem to be as likely as that vaccine also seems susceptible to uh, rarely causing clots. The issue, though, of course, is most people uh, don't want to take any of these, albeit rare, risks. And uh, I think people have to understand their risks. And just like um, my family's friend, uh, you can still be young and end up in the ICU. Now, uh, the other question, uh, I think, is when will pandemic restrictions be lifted? Uh, Tony Fauci was uh, recently, I think, in front of Congress with this question uh, rather heatedly uh, uh, tried to pin down by some congressional people. And of course, uh, it's always hard to know when something ends. We know when something starts. But here are some factors and things that I'm watching, and I I think probably will also factor into this. The first is, are the rates of infections fairly low in the community generally? Five to 10 uh, cases per 100,000, that's a hard number to really understand. Uh, perhaps this means 10 to 16,000 cases per day in the United States. That's still substantial, but it means spread out over a country of 330 million. Uh, these rates will be uh, fairly low and likely, uh, meaning your risk of encountering someone who's infected uh, is uncommon. These percentages uh, may be uh, less important uh, if more people are immunized getting the infection, but not uh, entering the hospital. Currently, on average, we're still having 70,000 cases in the United States per day, so still uh, much higher in many uh, locations of the country, and some, such as Michigan, um, uh, at the highest. The second would be COVID-19 hospitalizations, and the reason this is going to be uh, followed is it's the easiest to track, uh, there would also be mortality reports uh, associated to uh, with this, and so uh, looking at those numbers declining is important. One that modelers use and which we discussed quite a bit early in the pandemic is a so-called reproduction number. That is, if how, on average, how many people does an infected person uh, transmit to? Uh, wearing masks and quarantining. Um, where isolating helps uh, reduce that by taking someone out of the equation, but because this virus can cause asymptomatic infection, people are not aware. Um, this is um, something that has made this virus very successful. But if that reproduction rate can be routinely less than 1, on a a population basis. And we know the the viral infections will uh, die down and not uh, spread with the current uh, rates that are still causing great distress and illness across the country. Lastly, the percentage of people immunized. and, and some people say, well, you know, uh, what about the people already infected? I think many of them will count and have sufficient immunity. Um, there's increasing evidence that vaccine-induced immunity uh, may be better, especially against some of the variants of concern. And so I think from a public health perspective, it would be best to have as many people immunized, whether they've had COVID-19 or not. And you get a better sense of the herd immunity, whereas a natural immunity is imprecisely understood as to those numbers. And so uh, when will this herd immunity occur? As I said, uh, estimates are anywhere from 70 to 90% of the population, and that could be a mix of vaccine-induced immunity, natural immunity. Um, Most people think this will likely occur sometime in the fall to winter time. The variants make this a little tricky because there'll probably be more uh, infections and in people that have previously had COVID. Certainly uh, know of several cases of people that have had uh, COVID twice, and that seems fairly convincing. So uh, clearly, uh, natural immunity is not robust, and there are always so-called breakthrough infections with vaccines, but hopefully these will be of a mild nature and not cause uh Hospitalization, but regardless, uh, in terms of uh, trying to uh, take down the measures that many of us are still following and feeling comfortable uh, in that uh, sense, except if you were immunosuppressed, it, it it's possible this will continue. And of course, from a global basis, unfortunately, with some of these easier to administer vaccines such as AstraZeneca and the uh, Johnson Johnson and Johnson vaccine, uh, the clot story I think will will still need to be understood better and um, how those population targets will be carried out uh, because those are the sorts of vaccines that were going to be used worldwide uh, more effectively. So um, uh, no doubt the coronavirus will be a worldwide issue uh, for at least another year or two in many countries. So uh, Faith, thank you very much. I I think you have a, a couple questions for this week.
0: Yes, we do. And our first question is: When do you think vaccines will be authorized for young children?
1: Yeah, Faith, this will be on a, a, a step a stepwise basis. Uh, Pfizer, uh, which has the vaccine already approved sixteen and older, has presented clinical trial data for ages twelve to fifteen to the FDA. So uh, there may be authorization soon uh, to really get everyone 12 and older immunized. Uh, Moderna um, has two trials in progress, a 12 to 17-year-old and also a six-month to 12-year-old. Pfizer um, has uh, a trial from six months to 11 years. I think those trials we'll probably hear about more in the summer uh, to early fall for a decision. I think it's unlikely you'll see those younger age groups be um, ready for immunization before this next school year starts, uh, but uh, perhaps soon thereafter. Uh, so that's very encouraging. Uh, I think uh, the AstraZeneca and also the Johnson Johnson & Johnson vaccine, uh, they have had trials uh, uh, slated for uh, children and, and some in progress. Uh, whether those are uh, will be paused or carried out, uh, especially since clots seem to be more targeted towards women and uh, those of younger ages, uh, uncertain the impact there. Um, And of course, uh, the clinical trials, even though they are very large, uh, didn't see the very rare things that come up that might be in uh, one in 100,000, one in 600,000, one in a million chance. Um, so, uh, these are very uncommon side effects, but uh, compared to natural infection, you know, the vaccine still seems to be a winner, but we'll see how how uh, perceptions are, and again, the, the messaging, I think, will be important to try to uh, help convince people because the pandemic is still ongoing, and uh, and I, I hope the regulators um, uh, give some weight and, and allow people to try to help make choices And vaccine availability will also be very important on a worldwide basis.
0: Okay, thank you, Dr. Allwater. And our second question is, what is the status of Molnupiravir? Do you think it looks promising?
1: Uh, Molnupiravir is an oral antiviral uh, that uh, does appear to have activity against this coronavirus. Um, This drug is in clinical trials, and Merck has partnered with another company called Bridgeback Um, and uh, have uh, a number of phase one and phase two trials, and have recently announced just by press release that they're going to go ahead with a a phase three trial. Uh, Much like uh, the uh, drug oseltamivir for influenza, uh, they're looking at a five-day treatment course and uh, the companies have announced that they had promising data early infection, mainly in outpatients. So they're thinking of a phase three trial Uh, for people at high risk for um, COVID-19 that uh, this would be a strategy to look to see if it can help reduce uh, the onset of proceeding to severe illness in these uh, populations. Uh, Information to date doesn't look as though there's a safety signal for the uh, short course of therapy, and uh, also preliminary information suggests some of the higher doses were able to impact a viral carriage such that uh, the amount of virus being uh, produced uh, declines, uh, um, and this might correlate with its clinical impact. In their announcement, they said they weren't uh, going ahead with hospital patient trials, but uh, there are some trials still ongoing with this drug. Um, uh, Like any uh, antiviral, it probably works better the earlier you take it. Uh, So um, I I think an oral antiviral is a real unmet need uh, for coronavirus infection if someone's at risk. Uh, Certainly there's intravenous therapy with monoclonal antibodies, but uh, uh, having uh, a medication that you can start uh, quickly available in your drugstore would be even better, I think. And so um, I think many of us are looking forward to see what this clinical uh, information might look like, but uh, probably won't be uh, till later this year at the earliest uh, that we'll have those kinds
0: of results faith. Thank you, Dr. Allwater, and thank you to our learners for those very insightful questions. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to QA at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us, and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19. Dr. Alwater, thanks again for your time.
1: Thank you, Faith. Hope everyone continues to stay safe and well, and uh, if you can get a vaccine, I'd encourage uh, as many people to uh, help get their families and uh, friends immunized. Thank you.